Welcome to Between the Vines. My name is Kevin Martin. I'm here with Brian Head and uh, my other team member, Andy Musa. Uh, we wanted to talk about some regulatory proposals is what we're going to start off with. We also have a few other things to discuss today um, and we'll see how far we get. Uh, a lot of stuff happening and, you know, whatever we don't get to, we can certainly cover next week. But uh, definitely wanted to touch on what's going on with some of the, the federal regulations related to pesticides. Um, Andy? Yeah, um, we just wanted uh, growers and processors uh, to be aware that um, the United States Environmental Protection Agency, EPA, is asking for comments uh, about the re-registration and uses of uh, two fungicides, uh, Xyram and uh, Iperdione, which is a uh, trade name, uh, Roverol and uh, I think Meteor. And just to, these two materials are used by grape growers in both um, Pennsylvania and, and New York. And what they're doing is asking for comments, which they regularly do when they're uh, examining or, or uh, looking at the different uh, pesticides. So they, before they make a decision, final decision, they, they like to um, get comments from the public and the industry. So um, we want growers to be aware of that. And I think in the crop update, this upcoming one, Kevin, if I'm, I'm not mistaken, um, Yep, that's right. It'll be next Thursday. So today is uh, Friday the 11th. We'll have a crop update on the 17th. Okay. And, and in that, they're, they're going to have a blurb that I think uh, uh, Hans Walter Peterson out of the Finger Lakes put together, um, along with Alice Wise. And, and I think they talked maybe even to Jen uh, about that. And that'll be in our crop update. So if you do want to make comments or sort of review uh, some of the studies that the EPA did uh, with their concerns of re-registering these materials, uh, you can go to those sites. And it also has, uh, it will also have a, a link to the site where you can make comments. And in that, it also, um, you can find where it, it sort of gives some hints about, you know, how they want the comments made as far as, you know, being productive and, and um, you know, don't just don't just say, hey, we want this material because we like it. You know, there has to be some data behind it. But they, they do like to hear from um, from uh, growers in the industry and the general public. So if you do want to make comments, um, check out that crop update and then go to those links. So we, we encourage you to do that. Um, so uh, we'll talk a little bit about, you know, Xyram and Iperdione. Uh, and I'll switch it over to Brian, but uh, you know, Xyrem is a multi-site uh, um, fungicide, and you know, there's only a few that we have that are multi-site. And these materials are um, low risk uh, for resistance management. So uh, I'm going to let Brian. I'm going to switch it over to Brian, who's our he's a pathologist, great pathologist. Um, uh, and he's stationed at the lab in Northeast, the Great Research and Extension mm -hmm. Center at Northeast. And I'm going to switch it over since Brian's uh, uh, agreed to join us today so he can talk a little bit about Xyram and Hyperdiome. Brian? Okay, well, <clears throat> um, yeah, Xyram, of course, uh, very old fungicide. I think it was introduced 60 years ago, around 1960. So it's been around for a long time. Uh, like Andy mentioned, it's a multi-site inhibitor, which uh, 
makes it sort of resistance proof. Um, you know, fungi that it controls um, don't generally develop resistance to multi-site inhibitors. <clears throat> and so it's very useful in that respect. It controls a number of diseases on grapes. Um, we apply it uh, on grapes for black rot control, for phomopsis control, and downy mildew control. Um, and I think, you know, the loss of xyrum would be particularly um, bad for juice grape growers. Not so much for wine grape growers, because I think they've, you know, we've got other multi-site inhibitors like Captan and Mancazeb that can be used uh, longer in the season. Um, but uh, with juice grapes, at least in the, you know, in this region, in the uh, along the Erie Lakeshore, growers are prohibited from using Captan and Mancazeb once bloom begins. And so Xyrum is kind of the go-to material after that for those, those three diseases I mentioned. Um, and, you know, being a multi-site inhibitor, uh, it's used for resistance management, uh, for controlling things like downy mildew. Not so much for phomopsis or black rot. We have other materials for that. And those diseases are less likely to, the pathogens causing those diseases are less likely to develop resistance just because of their, their nature. Um, they don't reproduce as quickly. Um, as something like down the downy mildew pathogen. Um, but beyond just resistance management, uh, it's probably the only thing we have for phomopsis control after bloom begins uh, in juice grapes. Um, so that's pretty important. Uh, phomopsis is largely controlled, fortunately, in pre-bloom uh, applications. But uh, there is a need to continue controlling phomopsis at least through the first or second post-bloom spray, uh, depending on the weather in, in any given year. And so, um, you know, if we lose xyrum, we don't, we don't really have anything to control phomopsis with in that post-bloom um, time period for, you know, Concord, Niagara, Catawba grapes, that sort of thing. We do have... We do have the strobilurins, um, which have been shown to provide some control of phomopsis. There's not been uh, nearly as much data, I think, developed on for you know phomopsis control from strobilurins, but they will provide some control. Unfortunately, you know the strobilurins have kind of faded from use. They're probably not very expensive at this point. <laughs> um, but still, uh, and they will control black rot as well, uh, but they, they've kind of lost their ability to control, I think, powdery and downy mildew. Um, but they could be, you know, possibly a go-to material for post-bloom phomopsis control if it came to that, if we do lose a, a material like xyrum. But, but with that, Brian, also, um, <clears throat> the... Xyram is, uh, like you already mentioned, low resistance, uh, you know, uh, low risk of resistance uh, development, whereas the materials that we, we would have left at that time, you know, even if they, you know, were more effective, which you, like you said, they, they might not be as Xyram, um, their risk is, is probably high and medium. I mean, the materials that we would have, is, is that 
correct? Or yeah, but I think in the case of Thamopsis, um, we're not. We also have not just the. Uh, we're not just looking at the the high risk of resistance in the material itself, but we're also looking at the pathogen. The pathogen is not as likely to develop resistance as say something like powdery mildew um, because uh, the Phomopsis pathogen uh, generally does not have, you know, does not have repeating life cycles throughout the year, throughout a given season. Um, and so is, is much less likely, I think, to develop resistance. Um, same thing with like black rot, you know, developing resistance uh, to say the, stro the sterile inhibitors, which can be a high risk, um, but we generally only see powdery mildew resistance to sterile inhibitors, not black rot resistance. And there is some evidence too that now that I mentioned sterile inhibitors, there's some evidence, but not a lot. And I don't have a lot of confidence in the idea that sterile inhibitors might help control phomopsis as well. Um, but so, so when we're talking about that, really, it would be as far as the pathogen, it would be downy mildew that, um, right. you know, if we lose those multi-site. That would be the major concern yeah. for, for, for resistance management. Right. Now, right. we could so, resort to... Yeah, the one thing I would comment on that you mentioned, Brian, is we're seeing the strobal urines sort of fade from use. Um, probably, I don't know if it's because of other crops. I guess that's the best thing that I could speculate. But we have not seen... Um, a precipitous drop in price yet. Uh, certainly nothing that would, I guess it's affordable enough so you could use it for Phomopsis if you really had to, but it would be sort of a dramatically different price point compared to what we're used to using in Concords for Phomopsis. So typically what for Phomopsis, we're, we're, we're almost spending nothing. Um, we might be putting on sprays slightly more frequently because you might use a Zyram. So then you might follow up in 10 days instead of 14 because Zyram washes off or something like that. But other than that, you're using materials that do other things. And, um, you know, if a bound, we know it doesn't work on powdery. If it doesn't work on downy, um, then you've got a black rot Phomopsis post bloom material that's running around $15 an acre. Um, so that's that's dramatically different than a Zyram or an EBDC that's somewhere between fifteen and twenty dollars. That's covering downy powdery, or sorry, downy phomopsis um, and black rot. So right. that's yeah, that's certainly an economic adjustment. But your point is well taken. Is you know we've seen that abound come down from twenty five at a high to fifteen. So if it continues to decline, other than concerns about resistance, which probably shouldn't be understated. Financially, maybe it would be okay someday, but we're not there yet. Now we do have another, you know, another multi-site inhibitor, copper, that we could use for downy mildew control. Um, it's kind of fallen out of use, I think, because it's you know it's just a little nastier to work with, <laughs> um, you know, especially the powders. Um, and uh, but it's an old material, and it's it's very effective in downy mildew. Probably not enough, you know, good enough for powdery mildew at least around bloom. But on Concord, uh, it does a decent job on for powdery mildew. Uh, so that's another option. 
Um, as far as the hyperdione, that's another. Before we go to that one, Brian, we'll finish up um, on the Zyram, unless you have some more comments about Zyram, do you? Uh, well, actually, I, you know, I could mention too that um, I think, like I'm, like I said, I think this is a juice grape grower problem if we Zyram rather than um, than a wine grape grower problem. They have Captan and and Mancazeb that they can generally use, and Mancazeb is probably overall better than Zyram because it has uh, it's better on on things like downy mildew. Yeah, and. Um but sort of reiterate some points before we get off this Zyram is that, like you said, again, it would be probably most important for the juice grape growers uh, up here in the Lake Erie region, uh, because again, Mancazeb and Captan can only be used up to bloom. And then the only other multi-site for all three of those diseases would be Zyram. Uh, fortunately, we may have, like you mentioned, Brian, copper for downy. That, that growers could go to. But really when you talk about it, that's, we only have those four multi-site materials, Mancazeb, Captan, Zyram, and Copper. And, you know, as an industry, we'd like to, to keep as many of those as we can um, for both resistance management, uh, you know, tank mixing and, and cost as, as Kevin said. Um, so. Um, yeah, and I, I think, Oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, it, and it's not like juice grape growers are going to be using this stuff up to, you know, uh, to its PHI, pre-harvest interval. We generally only apply maybe one or two Zyram applications after bloom. And so, you know, you've got a couple months or more um, of weathering to take place that, you know, removes a lot of that residue too. So, that I think, you know, might might reflect well on on uh, a decision to to maintain it at least to allow growers to use it a couple two three sprays at the most after bloom, um, and then they wouldn't need it anymore for really. Okay, well, again, finally, you know, unless there's any other comments, uh, Kevin or, or Brian concerning Zyram. I'll just uh, before we go to hyperdion, just mention again that um, again EPA to address the identified risks of concern to both human health and the environment, the agency is proposing again to cancel all registered conventional uses of Zyram. And uh, those comments, uh, if any growers or processors uh, want to make, should be made uh, by April fourth is the deadline. So. Um, just be aware of that. And again, it's in the crop update. Uh, we'll be in the crop update upcoming one, uh, those sites and where you can make those comments. Uh, link will be in that uh, crop update. Um, I, I think now we'll, we can move maybe to the hyperdione. Um, and again, EPA is proposing um, that they're going to, um, uh, I think, limit the... Uh, what they're proposing, at least for, for grape growers, is uh, to reduce the application rate um, for grapes uh, from one pound active ingredient per acre to 
um, almost half, uh, 0.6 pounds of active ingredient uh, per acre. And, uh, you know, at, as we get into this, uh, I'm going to turn it over to you, Brian, uh, as to what, you know, the Iperdion is used for and, you know, maybe, you know, what you think of maybe the efficacy reducing it that much for botrytis, you know, um, if it would even be effective. So did you want to comment on the Iperdion and what it's used for in, in, in grapes? Yeah, um, well, it's a, it's another old material, <laughs> um, been around for maybe forty years. <laughs> uh, Nineteen seventy nine, I think, is when it was first introduced or got a federal label. But um, it's used for botrytis and on, on grapes. It's used for some other diseases on other crops, but uh, it's a botrytis material on grapes, and. Um, there has been resistance uh, developed by the botrytis fungus in, in many areas to this chemical. Um, it's a frac two, I think, and it's sold as Roverol, like you mentioned, Andy, and, and also Meteor from uh, UPI. And but it's it's important, I think, in that uh, the botrytis fungus develops you know, resistance to things pretty quickly in, in a lot of cases. And it has developed resistance in many places to Iperdione already since it's been out there for so long. But I believe the research has also shown that um, the pathogen developing resistance to it, it comes at a cost. And so when you lay off the use of the material, it comes at a fitness cost. When you lay off the use of the material, you might regain some efficacy to that material again. Uh, and you can you know, lay off of it for a few years and then maybe return to using it again, and it, it'll be effective once again at controlling botrytis and grapes. Um, one application, you know, limiting it to one application might not be too bad. I think we've been kind of mentioning that we probably should only use it once or twice at the very most in any given year. Uh, and we've got quite frac groups that we can choose from for botrytis control. Um, so that's good too, but just losing one, or like you said, be, having to go down to 60% of, of what we're normally using to control botrytis um, may render it pretty ineffective. Uh, especially if there's the slightest bit of resistance out there as well. Now, it might be used maybe with a tank mix with another botrytis material, something like that. Um, but, you know, we have other, we have a material uh, called switch, I think, that's got botrytis frac groups in it. Um, <clears throat> for that reason, you know, for resistance management, um, and it might be relegated to something like that for, for its use. If, if, that approval down to one application and at 60% of what we used to use. Um, and again, this is just a wine grape problem too. Um, we're not here. We're not talking about juice grapes being affected really at all. Um, and there are other frac groups that growers can resort to, but we just, you know, we, we hate to, to lose any of them, to lose any of those tools for controlling this disease, because it could be pretty devastating in some, particularly in some varieties, some wine grape varieties. 
and my, my major concern with with is not the fact that like you said if they limit it to one application uh per season because that's you know probably what the most one or two that growers would be using now anyway but my concern would be them cutting it down to like you said uh, almost less than half of, of what we're using now um how effective would that be and and that's yeah. my concern so uh, yeah me too yeah so uh, again, uh, before we get off the Xyrim and the Iperdione, um, check out the crop update if you're interested in making any of those comments. Uh, they'll have the sites uh, URLs there in that crop update as to where you can make comments or if you wanted to read about um, what EPA has looked at um, already. I think there's going to be a site where you can go to for both Xyrim and Iperdione. If, if you wanted to, you know, check that out. And uh, again, um, if you want to make any comments, uh, but we just wanted to make growers uh, and processors aware of that um, uh, EPA is soliciting comments and you, you have to, again, by April 4th. Um, yeah, and if you, um, depending on how you get this podcast, if you can see the full description on your phone or your desktop, you'll have a link to uh, the Federal Registrar site where you can make comments if you so desire. Uh, the other thing I, I, before, you know, we get off this podcast or Kevin, you, you jump in with some other stuff. Uh, I just wanted to mention, uh, again, I'll turn it over to Brian, but um, if you could make a couple comments about, you know, some of the, uh, probably the major, there hasn't been that many changes in the grape guide, um, the upcoming 2022 grape guide. It, it, went to the publisher uh, at Cornell and hopefully um, probably by the end of March, I think it will be published and we'll get it out to growers where it'll be available. Uh, but if you just wanted to mention a couple of uh, changes as far as uh, fungicides that um, will be in the 2022 guide. Okay. Yeah. Um, we, of course we added Sevia, I think a year or two ago to the guide, uh, which is a, a new sterile inhibitor for powdery mildew and black rot control. Um, but the entry for that in the guide has been updated because there's a new label out for it now, a 2022 label that um, lifts the restriction uh, on varieties. Um, it used to be that the old, with the old label, you can only use it on Vitus vinifera. Uh, now the, the varietal restriction has been lifted and you can apply it to all varieties, uh, natives and hybrids. Um, <clears throat> it's, well, as, as we talked about in the, in the guide, it's, a, it's an excellent black rot material and uh, it, it appears to do very well on powdery mildew as well. Uh, better than I think most, if not all of the other sterile inhibitors that are out there now that are older. Um, the other material that, that's recently been added is Gatton. Um, Katie Gold at Cornell has added that to the, the new guidelines. Um, it's a frac group that we um, have not used before for powdery mildew control. It only controls powdery mildew to my knowledge, but it's a good one. Um, so it should be, uh, there's no varietal restrictions that I know of on that. 
Um, you know, so it should be a good additional tool for powdery mildew control. And if the price is right, um, check it out, apply it, you know, it, because it's good to excellent on powdery mildew, I would say, you know, it could be used around bloom at that critical time to, to um, control fruit infections and should bang up job. And Kevin, um, Brian mentioned the price. Do you, I don't want to put you on the spot, but um, as far as Gatton. Uh... Yeah. So um, I hate to talk specifically about price, but um, I'll, I just, this year I'm going to have the caveat of last time I checked, even if I checked <laughs> yesterday, because, because occasionally we see things move very quickly in terms of price. But what I would say is there was limited use of Gatton last year. Um, you know, probably in part because it had just come out, wasn't even in the guide. We had one out of four of our um, our um, uh, suppliers carrying it. The guys who used it were very happy with it. It's going to come in as probably, uh, if you use the minimum rate and you're comparing the minimum rate to any powdery mildew material in juice grapes, it's going to be your most expensive material, but probably only by a dollar or two per acre. You start getting into what some of our growers have doing have been doing. They're looking at grape juice prices of $350 to $400 a ton. They have not been happy with powdery mildew control. They're using maximum rates of Quintec. They're using higher rates of Avando. If you start doing things like that, you're probably going to get better results with uh, Gatton, but I'll defer that to Brian. Uh, you'll certainly save money. So, yeah. um, so it's definitely a great option for that pre-post-bloom critical period. Uh, Sevia is a little bit similar. So technically, I guess Sevia would be the most expensive powdery mildew material a juice grape grower would use. It might be 4 or $5 more than, say, a, a low rate of Avando, but it does cover other diseases. So in the end, if you, if you take a look at what you're putting in your sprayer, um, that may actually be uh, something that looks like an affordable option. It's probably not going to save you a lot of money, um, but it's certainly going to, you know, increase your, your ground speed when you're spraying because you're mixing up less stuff and it's going to do be an effective job for a similar price or potentially less, depending on what else you're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the price that I had from one, one distributor was it's a four to five ounce rate. And it was like $21 for the low rate, about $26 an acre for the high five ounce rate. Right. Okay. So that's a little bit cheaper than what I had heard. I thought it was closer to 25, but uh, for that low rate, and I can't imagine, do you think anybody's going to use that high rate yet, Brian? I mean, I don't, and I don't think it's necessary. Um, we've been I, testing it for several years and the four to five ounce rate, we don't, we're not seeing any significant differences in terms of uh, okay. black rot control with it, especially on Concord. Yeah, and I don't know if it was your work or the work of others, but it looked like they changed the rates on that label as well and sort of narrowed down what you could do, um, which is probably good news from a cost perspective. We won't have yeah. growers using higher rates um, because the label says they can, even if they don't yeah. need to. So. Actually, I, I think they, at least from my experience, they there was a three-ounce rate that we were testing as well, and that's gone now. That's no longer. Yeah label. And interestingly, that one 
in in some cases we actually did see at the three ounce rate a slight depression in powder mildew control i think uh in comparison to the higher rates the four and five ounce rate but no differences between the four and five ounce rate so i think the labels it's good it's yeah so you can see why they dropped it i guess because if you're seeing that yeah. when it's brand new you're just probably encouraging resistance <laughs> It, it's still, even the three ounce rate did a pretty good job. Pretty good job. <laughs> yeah. It did but yeah, $21 an acre, it, it covers most of your diseases. So again, in that post bloom period, I would think from a management standpoint, that would be a pretty affordable option. Once our juice grape growers lose EBDCs, um, wine grape growers, you know, are probably going to be interested in both of these materials as well based on their cost, but they'll be a little more flexible about where they put them on. You know, it might be later in the season or before bloom. Um, but yeah, these are definitely good tools for our juice grape growers to have right now. It's good timing. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to mention, which is interesting with Sevia, that is a sterile inhibitor. And, um, you know, and that's, like Brian said, working very effectively on powdery mildew. Did you want to comment about that? Because some of those SIs, you know, they, they've really slipped and we've had resistance in there with a lot of other, other SIs. So did you want to sort of comment a little bit about that? Because it's a little weird, I guess, if growers saying, hey, you know, this is an SI and why is it working and these other ones aren't. Did you want to comment about a little bit about yeah. that? Yeah, they're all, I mean, you know, it's in the same class as like Tevi which we've been using for many, many years and seems to have slipped in terms of powdery mildew control. But it's the chemistry is, is slightly different. It's in the same chemical class, but it's slightly different. And that difference uh, means a difference in, in efficacy as well. And so we're seeing efficacy similar, at least in our trials, similar to things like diphenoconazole, which can't be used on Concord. Um, and, and some red hybrids. Uh, and so, you know, Sevia might be a substitute for that, uh, where you can't use diphenoconazole. Um, I should mention, too, that, you know, for, for wine grapes, especially really expensive wine grapes, this, I would say that Sevia is, is Certainly going to do a wonderful job on powdery mildew in Concord and, and, and certainly on Niagara around bloom for fruit protection. Uh, but it's still, you know, our experience is still not as good as the very best materials. Things like uh, a lot of the succinate dehydrogenase inhibitors, the FRAC7s, uh, things like Aprovia um, would be, and, and, and the, the, uh, the fluopyrum in, in the Luna series um, fungicides. Those are probably still going to be a little bit more effective. And, and for wine grapes, especially premium wine grapes, um, those I think would be the, the top-notch materials to go to for fruit protection. Uh, Sevia is good and sometimes excellent, but those other materials are, are going to be excellent most of the time. Uh, but like I say, I, you know, if you want to, if Concord and Niagara growers would like to use Sevier around bloom for fruit protection, I think it'd do a fantastic job. And, and maybe the Sevier for the wine grape growers uh, earlier on, if since it does such a good job with black rot, you know, using that, you know, no, earlier rather than around, you know, those the immediate pre or post, um, 
it right. would, like you said, it would be very good on powdery. It might not be the best, but still be really good. And you get the powdery and the black rot um, it, for the wine grape growers if they wanted to use maybe a little earlier or maybe later in the season after they've, you know, had some of those to mix it up so that we don't get the resistance. Right. Yeah. Good. Maybe like a second post bloom or something like that. Yeah. Where you're, you're kind of out of the woods for Phomopsis and in some cases at least, and, you know, but you still need black rot control and good powdery mildew control. And you'll, you'll get it from that. Okay. Um, the only other one that I did want to mention um, that is actually out of the guide uh, this year was uh, Topson M. We took that out. That's no longer um, uh, allowed to, to be used in New York and Pennsylvania. Um, and, and I don't think that that'll affect many growers. I, I really don't have an idea how many growers use it, but it was during the dormant period for canker diseases like Eutypa and Botrysferia. Uh, I, I doubt many growers used it, but it was applied as a, a paint or a directed spray uh, to, you know, when you're, you're pruning. Mainly, I think it was suggested if you're making um, large pruning cuts. Um, and I know, I, I think that the New York had a, a special local needs label uh, for it, but uh, Topson M is out now. Uh, and in the guide and I keep we keep saying the guide just for maybe if anybody's listening from outside the area uh, of New York or Pennsylvania um, when we refer to the guide we're talking about the 2022 New York and Pennsylvania pest management guide for grapes uh, I don't have anything else as far as um, uh, changes uh, as far as the disease program goes I don't know if you do Brian is there anything else that we want to discuss? I can't think of anything right now. <laughs> yeah, I uh, mainly I think that's what you know Kevin wanted us to cover today. Yeah. And Kevin, I don't know if you have anything else on prices or anything else that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, I mean we can. Um, I think we sort of knew this was going to happen last week, but sometimes um, it takes a few days for prices to actually increase, even if they're increasing rapidly. Um, so this we've seen, obviously, and we've talked a lot about how prices of certain um, certain goods that are very important to growers um, have been rising over the last uh, six to 18 months, depending on what that good is. And, you know, we talked we've talked a lot about herbicide issues and really how those prices are all over the place. I, I've actually seen Roundup in the last five days for $50 a gallon, and it's been as high as 100. Um, so it really depends, honestly, on what's in stock and where you can get it uh, as much as anything because of the just really bad supply chain issues. But, but obviously in the last 10 days, the overarching news story has been kind of the, com the, the war in Ukraine and that conflict and in terms of how it directly affects grape growers, um, the sanctions placed on Russia and the disruption to trade patterns have already started to affect the market. In part, I think obviously because these are, you know, this is a global economy where these things are traded. So it's not like we have already run out of supplies of certain things, but it's pretty easy to forecast that there are gonna be problems. So the way we, we deal with that in capitalism is we quickly raise prices. Um, 
Locally, we've seen urea prices, which have been lagging behind national uh, trends. We've seen them catch up and surpass those national trends in, in terms of the percent increase. So it looks pretty clear that if you haven't already purchased your, your urea, that it will be it will very likely be more than $1,000 per ton. Um, that's despite the fact that, especially nationally, there was a bit of a respite in February. There were 10 to 20% declines in price. It came off of those recent highs and fell quite a bit. And nationally, it still has not recovered entirely. We're not setting new, new records in urea, but I would expect that we will. Um, the other fertilizers are worse. They went up more sharply. I'm not exactly sure why, because um, urea should be the thing that is most problematic just based on what Russia does and how we sanction Russia. It could be because some of these price increases were built into the market a little bit earlier than say the day the conflict started. Um, so so that's that could be another 20% above and beyond the already expensive urea prices we were, we were sort of planning on. Um, the other thing that's going to impact is fuel prices. Fuel has been gradually increasing on road diesel was you know around three dollars a year ago and then by harvest it was closer to 350 now it's 450 uh, and well on its way to five dollars maybe by the time you listen to this so we're seeing 30 40 percent increases there uh, most acutely that's going to continue to affect um, post prices uh, and may potentially other trellis prices as well uh, we're seeing issues with um, issues with wire in the supply chain that could get worse because of this. Um, wire is sort of closing in on $200 a roll for crimped and is not quite as severe in Pennsylvania where they tend to use a little less crimped, um, but still problematic. Um, and then posts, those prices have not changed yet, but you know we've seen a run up in prices there because that market relies very very heavily on the trucking industry and obviously gas prices going from three fit three dollars to to 360 was problematic as as was labor for trucking going from 360 to five is going to be really problematic for posts uh, so we don't expect that to get any better it'll get worse before it does um, that's the biggest change honestly other than so we've got roundup and posts so those those are the two biggest changes in the last three years in terms of costs so Roundup, it only took about six months for that to go from $8 a gallon to whatever it is now, 50, 80, 100. And then posts uh, a couple of years ago were right around $6. And now they're going to be probably over 10. They're certainly at 10 right now. So uh, when you add that in, in terms of how many posts we use and how much Roundup we use, these are we've got a lot of problems right now with a lot of different inputs, but those are the two that are the worst right now. And, you know, all I keep saying at the end of this is because I don't want to be too negative is great prices are still very high. So <laughs> we're just dealing with bigger numbers right now. I don't know if this is going to shake out so growers are more or less profitable, but certainly when you're dealing with bigger numbers, uh, risk goes up a little bit because, um, you know, it's kind of like growing a farm we, and we don't exactly know how it's going to shake out. Uh, so as long as great prices stay high enough relative to the increase in these input costs, we'll be in good shape. But 
but that remains to be seen, of course. So we're, we're very, very fortunate that great prices went up first, not these input costs. So we're in a position so at least growers can buy this stuff that they need this year. It, it happened in the right order, which certainly surprised me because it never does. <laughs> um, uh, the only other thing I have, if you listened all the way to the end, you probably don't need this reminder. But if you're, if you're listening to us here locally, we do have our Winter Growers Conference. You have missed half of the hybrid event. We've had six hours of online content with three pesticide credits. Uh, if you'd like to, just, just ask us and we can give you a copy of that after you register for the full conference. You can get a recording of that. You won't receive any credits. But join us um, this coming um, Wednesday, the 16th, if you haven't already registered. And um, you can see us in person for the first time in a while since last August uh, at a larger event, the first conference we've had in a couple of years. So we'll be back to normal in that sense. We'll be at SUNY Fredonia if you've missed this, uh, but you can go to uh, lergp.cce.cornell.edu and you can register there just like you normally do for our events if you haven't already. So hopefully we see you next week. And if we don't see you next week, hopefully that's because you're not located here locally. Yeah, you can certainly tune into this podcast and reach out and we'll cover the topics you want to cover. Thanks a lot, Brian. Happy that you could join us and give us an update on this stuff. And thanks, Andy, as always. Yep. Thanks, Brian, week. for joining us.